0: I'm Joseph, and this is Fish Jelly. Nick is still gone. He's in Italy at the Venice Film Festival. So I'm here by myself, just rambling on. Uh, <laughs> first, we have a winner for RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars 6. Uh, the winner is Kylie Sonique Love. I watched it uh, at a gay bar in LA called Precinct, the finale. So the f- top four were Eureka O'Hara, Raja O'Hara, Ginger Minge, and Kylie Sonic Love. And based on uh, the crowd, which there were quite a few people there, Raja and Kylie were the fan favorites. Also, just sort of very casually looking on social media, like at hashtags, it, it would confirm that Raja and Kylie were the favorites. They all had to record a verse and perform to a, an original RuPaul song, sort of a country tinged song. Uh, before the Queens recorded, they were speaking to Tanya Tucker via video. And at the end, Ru says, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask if you'll be on the track. So, of course, the queens are like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to get to record a song with RuPaul and Tanya Tucker. And once we hear the song, Tanya Tucker's not on that song. She's in the very opening, and I think she just says, like, hi, Ru. (laughs) So her contribution is minimal. But uh, I think they all did a fine enough job. Uh, The decision, as Ru said, was made after each queen performed individually to a Lady Gaga song, the name of which I don't recall. And uh, that was interesting. I think uh, the highlight of the four lip syncs was Kylie Sonique Love, who had on a beautiful, like spiked latex dress with a really neat um, coat, uh, slipped, but then she turned the slip into like a tumble and the crowd went insane. So it was at that point I figured she, she's going to win. And she did. I was touched. You know, my few little feelings were definitely touched. I'm happy with her winning. I also would have been very happy with Raja winning. I feel bad for Ginger because she's come so close now twice. uh, And she's been on the show three times. So it's just kind of like, girl, (laughs) just give it up. (laughs) uh, Even in the show, uh, she says that she, and Rue also says this, that she's one of the most successful queens to come out of the franchise. And I don't know, uh, that kind of caught me by surprise. I mean, I don't know if Rue is thinking like the top, uh, you know, 25 or 30 most successful queens, then yeah, she'd be in that top. But when I think of the most successful RuPaul's Drag Race queens, I don't think of Ginger Minge. But good for her; she's back on, and you know Eureka uh, is doing well outside of Drag Race, so that's good for her. Um, but yeah, the real winners of uh, this season, I think, are Raja, Kylie, and Silky Nutmeg Ganache. I didn't watch the uh, this recent uh, or this past week's Drag Race Holland. I'll wait for Nick to return. But um, I went out for a drink the other night and some people were talking to me about youtube and were asking me like what i like to watch on youtube which is such a, a hard question because i like i don't have a uh like one channel i follow i just watch a bunch of random shit. i usually get involved in some sort of like wormhole because i'll look up a video of like the making of like the longest bridge and then somehow from that i'll get to like <laughs> I don't know, uh, Buzz Aldrin or something like I like. I just it it takes a weird turn, but I did want to talk about a show that is on the TV One network called Unsung, U N S U uh, N G. It is most episodes are available on YouTube, but it's like a music documentary program that primarily focuses on R&B and hip-hop music artists from, like, the 80s and 90s who were usually, like... um, They're not all one-hit wonders. They may have had a string of hits, but then due to some sort of crisis, they end up sort of being, like, underappreciated by, you know, current fans of R&B and hip-hop. And I... There are probably, like, a 100 episodes, I believe... I've certainly watched all of them more than once. I've learned so much, but um, I I bring this up just to share how much I like the show. But today, in fact, I was watching the unsung for the um, R&B group H-Town. Their big hit was Knockin' the Boots, Da Boots, D-A. So I was watching their unsung and I learned something I didn't know, which is they had an album in the 90s called Ladies Edition Woman's World. And this was in response to their two previous efforts. Uh, They were sort of like the protégés of Luke, um, who was known for making really, really raunchy music, like that one song, "Oh Me So Horny. Um, So he mentored them. Their version of R&B was highly sexual. So as they got older and a little more religious, they had hit a turning point where they wanted to make an album um, with a new record label <laughs> where they are sort of like paying homage to women, like attempting to show respect, which the record label did not appreciate. But the interesting fact about this album, Ladies Edition, Woman's World, is all of the tracks are sort of meant to uplift and bring awareness to women's w- women and women's issues. And the album was dedicated to Nicole Brown Simpson. <laughs> who uh, we, most of us believe, was killed by O.J. Simpson. (laughs) But yeah, I thought that was such a random fact. So thank you, Unsung and TV One. Moving on. So I received comments about last week's podcast and talking about people needing to make choices with their life and how I maybe sounded kind of aggressive or judgmental. And I wanted to address that because I would agree that when like when i get asked about this topic which is often people often ask me about like relationships and career and like what i do do or or how i'm where i am today not that i'm anywhere special but uh, usually re- revolving around my marriage which i do think is quite the accomplishment to be um married for 13 years and to have quite a nice life together. But I think the reason I probably seemed a little aggressive or judgy, which was not my intention, is that I feel like I'm often met with judgment when people um, sort of, how do I say this? It's like, I'll often hear people say like, oh, you live on that side of town? Like, you know, I wouldn't wanna live there, or working a certain type of job for a certain amount of time, or living a certain lifestyle. And I and I guess I resent the fact that I feel like Nick and I have checked all the boxes. We did all the things we're supposed to do. We got an education, careers, we're financially stable, we own a home, we're comfortable, obviously married for a long time, and just doing the best we can to sort of have purpose and make the most out of this shitty-ass life we all have to live, but um, I... I I, I resent being treated like, okay, so I did all the things I'm supposed to do and I'm trying to make the most of it, but because I'm not, well, again, I'm going to sound judgmental because I feel like, okay, so usually it's people who are kind of like loafing about, bullshitting, like not really attempting to settle down or think about the future are often the people who will comment on the choices I've made. And I think while maybe a lot of my choices are boring and maybe I'm not that much fun most of the time, it really is a function of me just wanting to be comfortable and to to live out you know, the rest of my life, however long that will be, feeling like I have a purpose, feeling like I'm stable. I don't wanna be anxious. I don't want to worry about where I'm headed. I really wanna set myself up so you know, I can maximize my efforts and, you know, the, 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 the big word for me is being comfortable. That's really what I think about. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, I'm sure I sound judgmental, but it, it just annoys me when, when people want to criticize, like, Oh, you live there? Like, why don't you live in West Hollywood? You know, because we don't live in West Hollywood or Venice or Santa Monica or DTLA, so it's not very sexy. But I think, like, well, you know, because I wanted a five bedroom house. Like, I wanted. I wanted space. I wanted a driveway to park my cars and wash my car, and I want people to be able to come over and there 's parking on the street like that 's why I live where I live, and I 'm still in l a and it doesn't take me that long. In fact, I can get to downtown l a faster from where we live than people who live in West Hollywood can to downtown l a so yeah, uh, that's all I wanted to say about that also someone sent me a list of like questions to answer and there were a lot of them and they were pretty uh, many of them I really couldn't think of answers they were a little complicated but they're supposed to be funny I did pick a few that I thought I would answer so here we go is cereal soup why or why not I would say cereal is not soup when I think of soup I think of the broth and see you know milk or Whatever milk substitute one uses, I would not consider broth. So no, cereal is not soup. Next, what's the best Wi-Fi name you've seen? I'm going to shout out my um, Wi-Fi name. So in our house, our Wi-Fi is called Fuck You, Pay Me. <laughs> and we've had that for a long time. In uh, every place we've lived since um, we we first moved in together in Minnesota, Uh, So I'm pretty proud of that one. Uh, What's the best type of cheese? I don't know that I'll say the best type of cheese, but my favorite cheese is blue cheese. You could put blue cheese on anything and I'd be happy. (laughs) Eggs, burger, salad, uh, charcuterie. (laughs) I love blue cheese. What is the funniest joke you know by heart? I only know one joke and it's this. Do you want to hear something funny? Decaf. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's funny. It makes me laugh. What's the weirdest thing a guest has done at your house? Okay. So in the home we lived in before this one, we had an extra room, like an extra master suite. It was a very nice room with, uh, with a bathroom and suite, and we had furnished it like a guest room. I think thinking like we would have guests, and we never did. So at a point, we decided to list it on Mr. B&B. And for those who don't know, Mr. B is the gay version of Airbnb. So it's only people who identify as gay men using the site. So we listed it on there, and we had I would I would say maybe like two guests when we kind of felt like, oh maybe this is not working that well. So our final but then we took a final third guest. And this person was lived in, I believe, Austria or Germany and had traveled to San Diego and lived there for three months. Our home was in LA. He was in San Diego for three months and he messaged us saying that he has to leave his current accommodations, but he's flying out of LAX like three days later. So he just needs a place to stay and our home was near LAX. So um, that's the reason why he needs to stay kind of in a random spot uh, for three days. So we approved the booking. He seemed quite friendly. He shows up and he was a a, a curious gentleman. Uh, he had a ton of luggage, like 10 suitcases, I didn't want help. So I just sort of watched him struggle up the stairs uh, to then drag these 10 suitcases into his room. And the final thing he brought into the house was a big like plastic bag not a grocery bag but a plastic bag filled with cheese and yogurt and it was a lot like i would say like maybe 20 cups of yogurt and maybe like 10 blocks of cheese so i said do you do you uh want to put this in the refrigerator that's kind of a lot so i need to make room and he said no so then I'm thinking like, "Okay, well, doesn't this shit need to be refrigerated? I mean, at least the yogurt does, maybe not the cheese, But this man, over the course of three days, proceeded to eat all of that cheese, and I'm assuming he ate all of it because in his room in the waste basket uh and next to it were the empty wrapper or empty cartons of yogurt and the cheese wrappers. so this man ate a year's worth of cheese and yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> in, on my account, uh, or based on my, uh, taste. Yeah. In three days, that blew my mind. Also, he was a little bit of a weirdo. He would kind of like glare at me, <laughs> like this really weird, creepy glare. And one time he comes out of his room and Nick was working in the kitchen, like sitting at the dining room table. And he walks out of his room in a jockstrap, and walks into the kitchen, which already was like, uh, okay, I hope you're just going to grab a glass of water. So I see him walk past and he's in there for quite some time, like maybe 15 minutes. And then he walks back to his room. So after that happens, Nick, uh, like comes over to tell me what happened. And that man stood in the kitchen facing Nick. Nick was not facing him. Nick was sort of like looking forward in his jockstrap with an erection, just glaring at Nick for 15 minutes straight, not saying or doing anything. (laughs) And then I guess when he received no response, walked back to his room. So I would say that is the uh, weirdest house guest we've ever had. The next question, where is the strangest place you've urinated or defecated? Uh, So uh, should I say this? Well, I'll say this. I have a weird habit of peeing in the sink. I'm not going to say when or where I pee in the sink, but I have a weird habit of peeing in the sink. But the story I wanted to tell was when I was in college, my first roommate uh, was obsessed with being thin, just obsessed, would work out all the time, starve himself, have like really weird like diets and would consume like those dieters teas, which are basically laxatives so he had a lot of like lower gi issues um i one time i had to he he asked me to grab something from his like laundry bin and like i should have worn gloves because i was digging through his laundry bin and his underwear looked like yeah he he had some problems down there but anyway <laughs> one time this is in las vegas this is 1997 i'm driving i'm pretty sure from because uh, i was in college driving from school maybe either home or to get some food and i'm driving by um like a plaza like like a shopping plaza that has like a grocery store and like a, an el pollo loco or something it was an el pollo loco i'm driving by and i see his car and he had a very noticeable car it was a gr like a forest green three series bmw that had like a body kit and it had been lowered so it was something that would catch the eye So I saw his car and it was kind of parked curiously by the dumpster of the El Pollo Loco. So I pulled in thinking like, oh, he's getting some food or something. And I pull by his car and this fool is in the dumps, like next to the dumpster, but the dumpster is inside of like a three-walled area. And he's taking a shit next to the dumpster. (laughs) And when I walked up, he looked at me so sad. Like when you watch a dog taking a shit and they just look at you with sad eyes. That's how he looked. <laughs> so that's a story. Uh, the final question I'll answer is, if you were wrongfully put into an insane asylum, how would you convince them that you're actually sane and not just pretending to be sane? I thought this was an interesting question because I used to work in an acute psychiatric ward. So if this ever happened to me, I think, or to anyone out there, the key to convincing people you're sane is to give it time. Because I noticed uh, working in the acute psychiatric ward that people would seem very put together, very reasonable, and very well-adjusted for, like, days at a time they would just be so chill and you could have conversations, you know, having conversations with them with like sensible conversations would be very easy, mild-mannered, you know, people for days at a time. And then all of a sudden it would kick in. And that's when I'd realize like, oh, okay, that's why you're here. So I think (laughs) like in movies, when characters get like wrongfully, um, like committed to some sort of like psychiatric facility and they immediately lose their shit. It's like, well, that is not helping your case. You need to stay calm and collected for a period of time to demonstrate that you are sound mind and body. (laughs) So that's what I would do is just ride it out for a while uh, to prove that this is not just me on an upswing. All right, that's that. Moving on. I watched a couple of movies this past week, so I'll talk about those as the topic. But before I do that, I wanted to mention the death of Greg Leeks. He's the husband of Nene Leakes, who most of us know from The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And I bring him up, uh, you know, it's sad. I, I I I used to and do occasionally still watch Real Housewives of Atlanta, so I've seen a lot of him on television. Uh, they had a contentious relationship, but he always seemed like a nice gentleman. So, you know, generally I don't mourn the loss of people I don't know or ever cared about, but <laughs> it's still sad when people die because to others they, are, they, they will be missed. But I brought him up because he died of colon cancer and it made me think, you know, statistically men compared to women are far less likely to seek medical attention when they have an issue. And then when we think about, when men are having issues in sensitive areas they really won't say anything particularly like cis heterosexual men um so if you're a dude or you know dudes who sort of you know like how cats won't let you know when they don't feel well it's so important to seek medical attention and i know we live in a country where quality health care is not available to everyone but if you do have access to health care and you don't feel well say something I don't care. You know, I email my doctor all the time. If I have a question, if I need something, that's what they get paid to do. I don't feel bad. They can answer my question 10 times in a row. I do not care. That's what they get paid to do. But the point is we have to advocate for our own health. So for men with, you know, testicular cancer, colon cancer, Go to cancer.org. There are assessments that will let you know when you like who's at risk, um, when it's recommended for screenings, you know, especially with like butt stuff, you know, straight men don't want to acknowledge or even like check down there, but it is really important, especially if you're like 50 plus and because a lot of American men have poor nutrition you know, and have polyps and all kinds of things and, you know, don't eat enough fiber. There's a lot going on down there that you may not be aware of, and early detection is so important. So that's my little PSA for today. Okay. Moving on, so one of the movies I watched this past week was House Party, the 1990 film starring the rap duo Kid and Play, and I watched it because it's new on Netflix, and it occurred to me that of the four House Party movies, I've seen two, three, and four, but I had never seen the first one. Um, It's a rated R movie that came out in 1990, so... Uh, that wasn't really available to me. I was only 12, but, uh, I do recall seeing the second one, like at a friend's house in high school who had rented it. And and I actually rewatched the third one like a few weeks ago. And then I've watched the fourth one, which features that boy group immature members of that group, uh, I I know I've watched it more than once. But anyway, yeah, I watched it. I would definitely recommend it. It's a nice little slice of, like, early 90s um, hip-hop. But uh, I don't know. I was just going to talk about it for a second. I was reading that, that, that the movie was originally written for DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, which I think would have taken on a very different tone. Um, <laughs> but in addition to uh, that, what else did I want to say about this movie? Oh, so the gentleman who plays the, the rapper kid, whose real name is Christopher Reed. He's the one with the big, like high top fade. Uh, I had the biggest crush on him back then, (laughs) which is, uh, interesting watching it back now. It still holds up. It still holds up. I was also thinking watching it, these people like the people in this movie are meant to be high school students and they all look elderly the the music group full force which is comprised of three members i believe are featured in the film as high school students who are like bullies towards kid and play they fully look like they're in their 30s (laughs) and a lot of the girls in the movie uh also look, like, well into their, like, mid to late 20s. I think that's funny. But the basic story is, like, these kids having a house party. I mean, there's no point going over it. But I didn't realize John Witherspoon is in the film. And I really like John Witherspoon. He has a special I would recommend watching called You Got to Coordinate. (laughs) that um, I could watch on repeat. He's just so funny. Like, he's just this little mean little old man. But there's a scene in the film. I I think he's the funniest part of the film. But the house where the party's taking place, John Witherspoon's character lives next door. uh, And he's in bed with his wife, very frustrated and calling the police because um, they're being loud and disruptive, which made me think of... um, Their dynamic reminds me of Nick and I, because our garbage ass neighbors are super loud. Uh, they're not the worst neighbors because I think they're nice enough people. They're just really inconsiderate, always like playing music. They have several dogs who are, are that are always barking. Um, they talk very loudly um, and they do like to have parties. So Nick would be the John Witherspoon character because he gets so flustered and wants to call the police right away. <laughs> and I'm the wife, who's played by BB Drake, who I'll mention in a second, she's just in bed like, you know, you're making more noise than the the kids next door. Like, why don't you just go to bed? (laughs) Uh, Also, I couldn't quite tell, I tried to look it up, but I can't ascertain, um, I mean, I didn't do that much research, but I couldn't ascertain where, like, which city the movie takes place in, but we hear John Witherspoon's character, who lives in a nice house, he says it more than once, like, I paid $15,000 for this house. Oh my God, can you imagine (laughs) $15,000 for a house like that? But getting back to BB Drake, she's an actor... Who I think I know best from the TV series Martin. There's an episode. Uh, her character's name is Myra, and she's in several episodes, but there's one uh episode where Gina mistakenly throws away like basketball game tickets Martin had like down the dumpster. So she's freaking out, and she ends up asking her neighbor Shanene for help. And Shanene says, Oh. I have two courtside seats uh, to that same game. I'll give them to you, but you have to work a day in my hair salon. Gina agrees. It's obviously a disaster, but one of the customers who comes in is Myra played by BB Drake. And I will never forget her character is just like this crotchety lady who needs a pedicure and her feet look like salmon catchers. And Gina played by Tisha Campbell, who's also one of the stars of House Party, along with Martin Lawrence. She's, like, trying to delicately file Myra's nails, and Shanene walks over like, girl, this ain't gonna do nothing. Like, you need something industrial. And <laughs> Shanene pulls out, like, an industrial sander and gets to work on Myra's feet, like, her nails and her corns. <laughs> And all you see is, like, sawdust flying, and then Myra is sitting in the chair, like, making these orgasmic sounds. I think that's one of my favorite episodes of Martin. But anyway, uh, watching the film, you know, it's from, what is this, 32 years ago, so some of the language is a little problematic. We do hear the F slur uh, one too many times for my taste. But you know whatever, people were saying it back then, but more importantly um, the, the the male characters who are all supposed to be high school students, you know they're at this party, and their main um, objective is to get girls and these boys played by men are such Creeps. Like, (laughs) I don't think we see that on TV or in movies anymore. Like, men just being such creeps. Like, they're so persistent and so inconsiderate and um, blind to the fact that these girls don't want their attention. Like, they just won't leave the girls alone. And I think it's, I, I was thinking about it because as a gay man, I can relate to being you know, maybe not nowadays, but when I was younger and cuter, like being approached by men and them not getting the hint, like attempting to be polite and saying, oh, thank you. That's very nice. You know, like, you you know, you can keep moving and people just being persistent and won't leave you alone and and will follow you around the bar and will, you know, or buy you a drink and then now they own you. So I, I feel like maybe a lot of like straight guys, behave that way because they don't know what it feels like to be pursued (laughs) because most women will tell you like, yeah, dudes are creeps. Like they just, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm making a blanket statement, but it, it was very interesting watching these male characters, uh, interacting with the women. But the thing that I forgot is how popular the dances were. Not only in this movie, but Kid in Play had a couple of like signature dances that kind of define like 90s dance moves. So that was kind of fun to watch. My recollection is that I preferred House Party 2 because now they're in college and the production was a little bit bigger. But um, there's a scene where Kid is running from the bullies played by full force. And they're like running through an alley and the bullies, both kid and the bullies run across what they think is a rat, but it looks like a possum. So it's funny that they thought it was a rat because it's clearly a possum. And then the bullies who are carrying a baseball bat stop, notice the rat, as they say, and they bludgeon it to death. I didn't like that, (laughs) I did not like that. That seems so unnecessary. But again, it's funny how we look back at films from decades ago and how acceptable it was to show like violence against animals. Also, uh, this sort of never ending theme in urban films that's still relevant today are like these racist ass white cops (laughs) who are just stalking all the black characters. Oh, namely, or one, uh, I, I think, important scene involving Robin Harris, rest in peace. Um, I forgot that he was in the first one playing kid's dad. And his relationship with his son, I thought, was really sweet because he he clearly loves his son, but he's struggling financially. The mom has died. I thought that was a really interesting um, take on that father-son relationship, because if I think about Friday, the film that stars Ice Cube and John Witherspoon again, John Witherspoon and Ice Cube's character's relationship is very different. It's, uh, it's much more sort of domineering and less respectful. So I did like that portrayal, uh, in this film, but getting back to problematic things, there's a scene where kid gets placed in jail And he's waiting for play to come bail him out. But while he's in there, there is a scene where there are all these men, because they're all in the same holding cell, and they want to rape him. So Kid has to come up with, like, a rap to distract them so they won't rape him. And then at the very last minute, like, right as they're about to rape him, he gets out. That was uh, was a bit cringy, (laughs) but anyway, I would recommend House Party. If you have Netflix, check it out. It's a blast from the past. Okay, the main film I watched this past week was the new Cinderella film, the 2021 Cinderella film directed by Kay Cannon, who uh, some people may best know for producing the Pitch Perfect films. Uh, And then she directed that film Blockers, which I do recall enjoying as an adult comedy. But, um, yeah, Cinderella. So we have this modern take. Well, I don't even know if it's modern. Uh, Well, I guess, yeah, modern take on the classic uh, fable. The biggest difference is these songs are uh, pop songs, like well-known pop songs. And the trajectory of Cinderella's life in the end is very different than what we know from the original cartoon. So what did I think about this one? It really wasn't my cup of tea. (laughs) It started off on a really good note because the opening scene is a performance of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. So I was very excited, very excited, very into it. It doesn't really make sense with uh, <laughs> what's going on in the movie, but it doesn't matter. I was very happy to hear it. Um, but yeah, it's basically like all the village people singing about togetherness and because the lyrics lend themselves to that. But I didn't get the sense that the villagers were united based on the way they treat Cinderella. So I didn't quite understand the song choice but we have cinderella played by that lady from fifth harmony who's not normani uh i have to actually look her up her name is camilla cabello who i thought dated justin bieber but i was corrected that lady is named selena gomez camilla cabello dates uh sean mendez so that's all i know about her Um, I know she has music that's popular, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah. So what do I think about her? She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Uh, you know, clearly she can, you know, sing well enough. I didn't, I I don't like her vocal stylings, but she can sing. So the story is she lives with her stepmother because her father has passed along with her two stepsisters. Her stepmother is played by Adina Menzel. We also find out, and I don't recall this from the original story, but Cinderella's name is Ella. But she's called Cinderella because of the cinders that come off the embers from the like the fireplace, I guess. So it makes her look dirty. And there's like more than one comment made about how she looks dirty. I don't think that lady ever looked like unkept, which I'll get to in a second. Um But anyway, she wants a better life for herself and her version of a better life is she's a seamstress and she wants to open up a storefront in like the, like, the village square. But of course, for a woman to do something like that at that time, as she says would be impossible, but that's her dream. Okay, then we have Prince Robert, who's played by a guy named, uh, what's his name? Nicholas uh, Galitzine. I actually liked him. I, I liked his look. I think, you know, he's obviously a handsome guy, but I thought he had a unique enough look that he doesn't just look like a generic, hunky guy. So I did appreciate that. Um, I'm assuming that's him singing. He sings like how you would think. Uh <laughs> It's kind of like show toony, not really my style, but the thing that was very distracting to me, uh, was the faces he was making as he was singing. That was kind of comical. His, uh, parents, the King and Queen are played by Pierce Brosnan and Minnie Driver, which I think were fun to watch on screen, but his burden is they want him to get married and he wants to marry for love not have some woman be selected for him he bumps into one day the prince goes into the town incognito which i think as i recall is just him wearing a bandana with regular clothes (laughs) but i guess you know back then they didn't have photographs or social media so how do they know what he looks like but uh he bumps into cinderella as she is trying to sell a dress she made and everyone's shitting on her like you're a street rat, like why are you out here? Which was in stark contrast to like the opening scene with everyone singing Rhythm Nation. So I thought that was weird. But Prince Robert bumps into her, instantly is like smitten by her, buys the dress from her for three times what she's asking, and then invites her to his like ball. Of course, Cinderella's so excited. She takes the money she's earned, buys some really pretty fabric, makes this beautiful gown, intends to go to the ball along with her stepmother and stepsisters. But at the last minute, stepmom says, oh, no, girl, you're not going to that ball because you already have a husband. I've picked someone for you, this man named Thomas. So yeah, only eligible uh, ladies can be at the ball. And Cinderella's like, I'm not marrying this man. And her mom says, bitch, I don't care what you say. You're staying home tonight. And her stepmother throws what looks like like a, like a cup of ink on her dress and ruins her dress. Of course, Cinderella's really sad. She has her little three mice with her. Uh, and she is fostering a caterpillar that is in its cocoon. And the cocoon finally opens uh, and we see this beautiful butterfly. And at the same time that this happens, you know, this is when Cinderella's, her plans to go to the ball are foiled. So she's crying and the butterfly turns into her fairy godmother or her fabulous godmother played by Billy Porter. Uh, I thought Billy Porter was interesting. He's only in the one scene where he sort of turns her mice into men and uh, gets her a horse and carriage and a beautiful dress. Um, and he sings a song that was whatever I can get to the songs in a minute, but I did think he was, um, thing up until the point where, which is like, maybe like almost the halfway point, uh, that's when the fabulous godmother shows up. I think it was kind of flat up until then. So seeing Billy Porter as the fairy godmother, uh, definitely, definitely picked things up a bit, but, uh. Then the, the you know the rest is she goes to the ball, uh, but the twist is, she tells the prince that you know admit like like she has to leave because she's going to turn into something. But I can't marry you because, as the prince tells her, his wife can't work. She would just be there for the, for 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 him for the king, but she'll have the best life ever. And she's like, no, if I have the choice, I choose me, which I did like that line. Um, so she said, yeah, I can't marry you because I wanna like do my own thing. So that's, a, so that's a deviation from the story we all know. But then like his parents have like a little bit of a falling out because of course the queen is like, I can't believe you don't believe in love. We used to be in love, like what happened? Things have changed. The king tries to win the queen's heart back. He's successful. The king has a change of heart, tells his son, like, you should go find this girl. And the the end of the story is them deciding that they are going to be together, but they are not going to get married. And Cinderella has been given the opportunity to be like a traveling dressmaker for the queen of what I presume is some African country. Uh, and the prince has agreed to leave, uh, his kingdom and travel with his working wife or girl. They, they don't say wife, they say his uh, love. So they have a non traditional relationship at the end. Uh, okay, so I really liked that aspect of the story, uh, you know, obviously. But I think overall, it feels a little corny and I'm a little confused by the song choices because they're all pop songs, but they range from like the 80s to the um, like latent, you know, knots. So that's a pretty broad range of music for an audience that I'm assuming. uh, Yeah, I don't know who this would appeal to because I can't well, I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't know what kids like, but it just seems kind of like something that people like, like under like 18 really wouldn't like, I guess. So I guess it might be people who are fans of like Camila Cabello, maybe. I don't know. Um, As an adult, I found it a little, there are moments, but the humor is very scant. In fact, I only have, I think like I wrote down two lines that I thought were funny. One is when Cinderella meets the prince in like the village square, and he's trying to pretend like he's a common person, but then he says something that's clearly like something that like royalty would say. And he says, Oh, well, that's because I've spent um, a lot of time around proper people. And then Cinderella says, Oh, um, I've met a proper person before. I once shared an apple with a goat named King Roman. And for some reason, I thought that was funny. Um, I, maybe that's the only funny line I wrote down. Yeah, I don't think this was particularly humorous. Um, I think the, oh, the other funny scene is when Cinderella goes to the ball and she meets this African queen. The queen is admiring her beautiful dress and asks her, you know, where did you get this from? And Cinderella trying to explain where she got her dress from, I thought was really funny because she stumbles a lot because she doesn't want to give away that she's like a peasant who made this dress, but then she also can't articulate that like her fabulous godmother made it for her. So I actually thought that was a fun moment. But getting speaking of the fabulous godmother, I was so frustrated that, like, there's no glow up for Cinderella. She looks the same from the beginning to the end. Like, her makeup or her hair doesn't change. When she gets taken out of her, like, commoner's robes, which don't actually look that bad, into this fabulous gown, she's not wearing, like, her makeup's no different and her hair is still, like, those awful bangs. And like pulled back into like a braid. That really bothered me. They should have done something major with her hair. So that's a fail on my end. Um, The music. So a highlight, obviously, Rhythm Nation. Uh, I thought there's that uh, Ed Sheeran song, Perfect, that. They, Cinderella and Prince Robert, sing to each other at the ball. I thought that was really corny. There is a, a number that opens the ball with a bunch of the female suitors singing the salt and pepper song, What a Man. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, Cinderella has her glass shoes. Uh, and there's a scene, she, you know, because in the cartoon, she's running and the shoe falls off. But in this movie, she throws her shoe at someone but like she throws and you hear it like hit the ground and she throws it pretty hard and far. And I thought that shoe didn't break (laughs) when she threw it like that. Uh, Okay. Something I didn't like is I guess I really don't know Idina Menzel beyond seeing Wicked on Broadway like 17 years ago. (laughs) That's my only, I I think recollection of her. And then I know she used to be married to Tay Diggs. So, I didn't realize that she had um, gotten older, but, (laughs) but I will say I am happy that she is not touching her face. I I thought she looked really good um, because she looks natural. So good for her for that. But another thing that didn't work for me is the, first of all, the two steps sisters aren't that awful the one is kind of like self-absorbed more than mean and the other seems to be somewhat compassionate. So it's like, okay, so Cinderella's stepsisters aren't the worst and her stepmother also isn't the worst. I mean, really the only time she kind of goes in is when Cinderella insists on going to the ball and then she tells her no and throws ink at her. But prior to that, she's just kind of strict. So combined with this version of Cinderella, the way Camilla Cabello plays it, she seems very confident and she doesn't seem that restricted. Like she's able to do the things that she wants to do. Like it like it's not her it, it doesn't feel like it's her stepmother who's holding her back. It seems like it's just society, like like societal norms that are holding her back. Um, so I didn't really I, I like I kind of wish cinderella's family would have been a little more evil also there are there are topics that are brought up in the film i think in an attempt to modernize it like green energy so the king's daughter prince robert's sister she mentioned something about like i believe it's like oh i want to like why can't we transition to wind energy or there's some new thing about wind energy which could help us um like conserve our fossil fuels and then her dad's like nah whatever and then there's discussion, obviously, of like gender parity and equality. And then there's even even a comment about like government spending. But they're all very, I mean, they're just like dropped. And I, I, I don't know, I think this could have been so much fun if it really dug into how problematic stories like this originally were as it relates to how women are treated and expectations and all that. It really doesn't go in except to say that Cinderella is choosing not to do what is expected, which is marry the prince. So, okay, great. But getting back to the stepmother, we get a scene where we kind of get some interiority for her, like why she's maybe a miserable person. And the way it's presented, it's like, who cares? Who cares why her stepmom is not nice? Like, who cares why she's unhappy? Cause she's not like necessarily villainous. So yeah, I don't know. There's also another uh, device which is like in the village square, there's this man who's rapping and he kind of serves as a narrator. Uh, that I thought that was a little corny too. Uh, there, there's a line where Prince Robert says, basically like, oh, commenting that, being in your 40s is like very old because people would die quite young back then. But I thought that was funny because clearly Minnie Driver and Pierce Brosnan are over 40, like well <laughs> over 40. So I thought it was funny that he's saying that. And also many people in the town squa- square look older than 40. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it it's also funny because people, I I guess when you don't live that long, you fall in love very quickly. <laughs> that's another discussion that I think would be interesting to have is these depictions of how many people romanticize love based off of these stories they saw as a kid. And it's like, shit doesn't work that way, girl. You just don't meet your Prince charming and fall in love and everything's going to be okay. That's why some of y'all can't, uh, can't keep a relationship going because you're basing it off of like a cartoon. So it's so funny to see it even in this quote unquote, modern retelling of a story that we still see this character, although it is Prince Robert who's smitten with Cinderella, not the other way around. Uh, oh, another twist is the daughter. Because Prince Robert is deciding to go with Cinderella on her travels, the daughter is now king. Um, oh, and then the final song of the film is Jennifer Lopez's Let's Get Loud. That was pretty cringy. <laughs> yeah, these song choices are just very interesting. But overall, um, I didn't enjoy it. I think if you like the two main people, then that's definitely a reason to watch it. But for my money and my time, I would rather watch um, Whitney Houston and Brandy and Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella any day. <laughs> That's all I have. Um, Oh, and I'm pretty good on time. I'll say goodbye for now. Hopefully, Nick will be able to record with me next week. Thank you. Bye.